everyone, Narna Passmore here, the host of the Itch Podcast, where together we will scratch the itch to learn how to become a better leader. We are all leaders of our lives. Leadership isn't defined by a position or a title. Leadership is who we are when no one is looking. Through real conversations with a variety of leaders that have impacted my life, we will learn how to grow in both leadership skills and character. Today, I am seeking wisdom from one of our guest speakers by having them share their journey and advice on how to become a better leader. Today, I would like to introduce to you my granddaddy, Dennis Sawyer, who is 89 years old. He will be 90 in July, and he is currently the leader and owner of Ace Hardware Store in Solar City, North Carolina, and the owner and manager of real estate. So I'm going to be asking you a few questions, Granddaddy, today about kind of your journey of where you've kind of gone throughout your life and gotten to where you are today. So my first question for you today, Granddaddy, is what position of leadership have you had in life? Well, I guess I would start back being in Birmingham, Alabama when I was maybe 11, 12-year-old, I had a paper route. Birmingham used a delivery. I worked on the weekend stuffing papers for the Sunday paper under uh, Mr. Ralph Nasser, who was a manager of it, and uh, I certainly learned a lot of things from him. He was a great leader. What kind of things did you learn from Ralph? Learn the facts. Get the facts. Let the facts dictate. Don't try to go against the facts. Live with them. Get away with them. Sleep with them, and don't worry with them, and let it go your life will be much richer than trying to alter them and fix them up than you would be just to live with them and go ahead with your journey because you'll have a lot of a lot of opportunities both ways. When you say, let the facts be the facts, what do you mean by that? Race ipsa locator. Let the facts dictate. Now, that's an old saying from way back, race ipsa locator. And that's where you go into any place. You go into back and you got the, the back where, where you're building a card or where you're writing a program or where you're doing with something. It's almost, it can just be the smallest thing or it can be the biggest thing. But when you go against the facts, then you're in no man's land and you got nothing to come back to to fall onto. But if the facts are wrong, well, I'll give you an example. This is a little one that I guess it'd be pretty good. When I was at Loveman's working part-time and going to college, Harry Caker was a general manager, and we had about four or five people that worked there. We put uh, stuff in the car. We had that, like nine and go deliver over there, just like the Express is doing. And we had to learn how to do them, and I could, I got where I could. They'd go route one, this route two, and route three, and other things, and got pretty good at it. So Harry Caker one day coming in, and he had to go somewhere and do somewhere, and he didn't have nobody else there to do it but me. He said, well, Dennis, I'm going to leave you in charge now. And, All right. Back to you. I said, okay, I'll do the best I can, Mr. Tackler. I got him in here going in. And in the process coming in, this dressed-up man in the coat come in. said, I want to pick up the car. I said, I don't know about no car or nothing. Mr. Caker just told me to line up and get these trucks out loaded and loaded out here. I'm, I'm sorry. You just have to wait till he comes back. And he said, well, it's my car. I said, but I don't know that. And he took me here with this thing to go, and I don't know what's your car. I don't even know where the car's at. I'm just here to load man. I'm just loading man. But I said, turn no keys or car over somebody else that I don't even know about and never seen before. And he says he owned the car. And he got so mad he could have shot me. He went back to the office. And when Harry Caker called, went up there, called him up there. He said, I went over to get my car. And that damn boy wouldn't let me have my own car. And I'm damn executive vice president of this company and all like that. He said, well, he's just young and he didn't know any difference in doing it. And Harry said, let me ask you, Mr. Had you rather him just give it to you or you'd rather not? 
take me in your other department. Said, you rather than have his philosophy or you rather have the other philosophy? Mm -hmm. Wrote me a nice note and said, son, I know I got aggravated and I apologize for being <laughs> aggravated. But said if I had everybody that with that kind of dedication in here, he said I'd sure be a happy man at this company. No. <laughs> That's cool. I love it. I love a good story. <laughs> That's one of the ones. That's what I've had. Do what do you say? Know what you do. I mean, you know. Yeah. That's all the facts I had. Huh? Yeah. Now the facts were, I didn't know him. Never seen him before. Yeah. He didn't know me, mm -hmm. and he claimed to be the car. Okay. The facts are the car's good, safe condition. Said, come back. He can give it to who he wants to, and I won't have any say so about it. Yeah. But I'm not going to do something and say, okay, okay, another guy come back and wants something, want something else. There's no way you can. You, I think people either, you know, have that thing or way that feelings, but I don't know how you how you how you how you teach that stuff and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome, Gene. Thanks for sharing. So from there, you were 11 or 12 years old. You were doing paper routes. Then what was your next position, kind of, of leadership and work? Well, I, I worked on and off part-time while I was growing up and in high school from throwing papers to driving a school bus when I was 16-year-old. Graduated from that high school as second in my class and family moved back to Birmingham from Dora, Alabama, where I met my sweetheart and my longtime wife of 65 years, bless her heart. And I had to work, I say had to, if I got to where I had to work, my family Basically, other children by two men, and neither one of them were really comfortable when it came to money and investment and things like that. She had to handle it all, and certainly was a great leader for me to watch her manage when her own husbands did not. And I guess from, from there, I went to work at Birmingham Southern College, and I had just enough money, $140, for my first quarter, saved my paper route money and other. I paid it down, and I talked to Mr. Yielding, who was the treasurer of the company, and I never thought a lot of him because his advice was different from Mr. Fred Nasser. He told me to go out and work and save some money, and then I could come back and pay my way in college and pay it because I needed more than that, just to start college. Where Mr. Fred Nasser, who was my paper manager, he told me, Dennis, if you're going to college, go to college one day to stay there, because if you don't go and you get off and make a little money and buy you a pickup truck, it's hard to get back on the track going back to school. So don't ever leave it until you're ready to finish and persevere. Wow. So from there, you went to college, and then what did you do after college? Well, I was in college. We had the cold rain water come on. And I had was well, my second year, college, and they were drafting people out of the room I was in. And one of the girls said, if I wanted to go other drafted, I'd have to go before Christmas. So I signed up on December 10th for the Air Force ship directed to San Antonio Tech to be an airplane pilot. And my friend Charles Minor, we went together, we graduated together, we went together and would work together. And we got there. And going through the physical, they throwed up numbers on a card and asked us to read them. And I read 17 and 19 and something else. And Charles read 20-something. And I looked around to him. I said, I believe he's colorblind. And the viewer said, no, you're the one that's colorblind. Wow. So there went my career as a into the Air Force and what have you. So then I was just arbitrary picked because I did have some college to go to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and do administrative work. There they were. 500 people in their administrative work, and the temperature was 20 below zero, and southern boy from Alabama didn't even <laughs> know where he was hardly, what he was doing. Mm -hmm. I stayed in and studied all the time. Out of 500, I'd become number one student. He said, you get the choice to 
to go where you want to. And so I was going back to Macon, Georgia, to out here. Head man of the organization said, no, we need you here to help get here and teach the others. So he kept me here as a teacher in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Wow. And you had worked that hard because you wanted to get out, right? I worked hard to get out of there, and I worked myself right into there. So that's <laughs> yeah. the first example in life. Things don't always go as you expect, and whatever you do, do it. So is that a blow to my life? The colorblind was a blow, I didn't really. And then having to stay in Wyoming, forget it, like I served my four years, which I did, went through that. Mm-hmm. And during the time I was there, I did this girl door Alabama that I met, Nina, and we corresponded. And while I was still in service, we were married in December of 52, and she she went back to, Cheyenne, to Cheyenne and was a telephone operator while I finished up my career with the military. What's the difference between a general and a pilot? I think if you're a general, you have got to have deep feelings for the people that you supervise. You have got to take care of their image and make their life better off by being there than somebody who just gets the job because they're assigned to it and they don't earn the other people. So I still think that the whole thing is you have to earn you have to earn the respect of the people that work for you. There's one that surveys the entire area of whatever he's involved in. He's as interested in the person that opens the door in the morning as there's a fellow that goes to the bank, makes a big deposit and all. He has he has a tendency and, and they believe that his leadership is as, as good as they can have, and they somehow want to follow him and be like him. Versus what does a pilot do? Never been a pilot, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead, you go ahead and have somebody else that one, by God. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You love that one. <laughs> then we both went back to Birmingham, Alabama, where I went back to Southern, picked up where I had a year, I had a year and a half of college, and I went through and finished, finished that, that and uh, we went through this together of going mm-hmm. to school and working. I worked back at Loveman mm-hmm. at part-time in the evening and worked in the morning at college and built my career around that, and she worked at, or she worked at a telephone company while we were doing that. So when we got out, we had both saved enough money, $7,500, $7, to buy us a nice house in Birmingham with two apartments on it so we could rent out the apartments and do that and that would help finish me through law school and I went to sign up for law school but before I did I was in a classroom with a Mr. Sparks who was a teacher and the Birmingham school system needed a teacher senior eighth grade and he asked me if, if I would consider taking it for a year and I, when I was getting organized I wanted a work so I did and I went to school in Birmingham High School, and I worked that whole year for Mr. Spark. And then when I realized what the career was and what I was, he told me that he had life meant to either preach or teach, and he chose it. And I told Mr. Sparks, honestly, with you, I don't have that dedication to anything now. I'm out here to, to about mm-hmm. my family and what have you, and I don't have that dedication. I'm dealing with everything I've got here, and at that time, we only paid for nine months, about $3,000 a year, and I couldn't raise a family and do that. I only want to. So I told him I would finish the school and go to college, and I'd leave that fall. And so when I got my resume back from the college, they put he put on there professional dedication, average, ability, and others superior. And then I started at Birmingham, Southern, at Birmingham School of Law after, the, after that, and uh, I finished the year 
it mocked out there under Mr. Sparks teaching. You taught just one year, right? And one year. And eighth grade. It taught the eighth grade, yeah. senior eighth grade. Okay. And then I started to get to law school at night, done her. And by the time I did this, there was a job came up with Jim Dandy, feed and meal and grit supervisor, and they, and I got a job that's going into assistant management in there. So for four years, I was assistant manager at the Jim Dandy place, working five full five days a week. I went four years at the law school wow. from eight to ten. And I just spent all my weekends at the library. I hardly knew my children. But they worked with me to get it till I could get my law degree and go also with the company. By the time I got up to the, up to the, uh, the grade then, the president of the, of the Jim Dandy Company died. I was made man, executive, executive vice president in charge of the operation. And the first thing I had to do was go and handled union negotiations. Mr. McCall, the president, handled them himself. So I tried to follow in his mode, and I went down to the hotel where we come with nine workers and just me from the company negotiating a three-year union contract. So I was under pressure, and they started attacking me and the company for everything I was worth, and the union contractor did. And I was at home, and it first time in my life I was not sleep. I realized the pressure I was under and I realized if I didn't do the job the company didn't need me and if I give away the place and place and give things away that I shouldn't give away then I've done a disservice to myself and to the company. So the night I went into bed that night I made a decision. When I went to the union room with the men, nine men, the executive, executive and me. And I said, I want to address this orders right now. I said, I've been beat up, I've been chewed up, I've been accused of everything that could be done. I didn't know I was that influential doing so many things that I've done this bad. The time I've gotten in the years I've got, I should be fired. If I don't give you what you want to, you can go strike and do it. But I will not be chastised anymore about my character and what I've done in the past. is nothing to do with this contract. This contract deals with money. You're after money. M-O-N-E-Y. We can give it to you in leaves bonuses, hourly rates or what, and I can sit down, and I can work with that. I can't work with all this other and sleep. So I've got another room down here I've rented. I'm going into it. Y'all can get together and you decide if you want to go my route and sit there and leave all this personal tax alone and all these social tax alone and here. Because I said, if I don't do a job, I should be fired. And I said, you've already sent a motion in to strike. So that's all you can do, strike. You can't hurt me, you can't heal me. You've called me a lot of unnecessary sleep. I'm going to sleep tonight. So <laughs> this to this, I tell you this. If you want to come back to me and negotiate, fine. If you don't, they'll send somebody up here or hire somebody, and I'll probably be dismissed from the company. But that's my decision, and you all you have to do is decide which one you want. And I left the room. Wow. Within 30 minutes, the international rep come down here and told me, he said, you just want to strike. I said, no, sir, I told you exactly what I said. Don't want to strike. But that's their only power they have, so I'll accept it. And I know I'm immune to it. So I said, that's my position, and that's all I can do. You'll have to decide what y'all want to do. And he said, well, tomorrow, would you have lunch with me? I said, sir. So we left, dismissed that meeting. The next day, I met him for lunch in Birmingham. And he was much older than me in Superior. And he said, Dennis, it's not attacking you. And said, you really have taken it as offensive. And said, it goes in here, but says, in union negotiations, people waited a whole three or four years to get something done and they're not going to sit down here in just a day or two and, and not take anything and coffee and got donuts put to them. They're being paid to be down here. They're going back to their organization. So it's a high time of their life. Every three years they're going to enjoy this 
and you, if you can't stand that weather and you can't stand the heat on it, maybe you can't handle the job. I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Can't handle the job. But I also told you how I felt. And he said, well, I know you're honest in here and this is the first time you've had negotiations. I haven't done this before, but he said, I'm going to tell you this. What you've heard in there is not uncommon in negotiation. They let it out and in here track and said, we're after money. But says, go me and call me an SOB if you want to and I'll call you SOB if you have to. He said, we'll just get along. We don't, we don't like each other and what have you. And then we come to money. And so then when we come to money, we come to the real issue they're down there. Says, do me a favor. If you decide to give them 15 cents, don't give them 15 cents. Give them 10 cents. And they can bargain that other five. Don't show how much you give them. They're going to want more in that bargaining. So don't put it all in the package in there. And you and I can sit down and figure about what's fair and what's in here. You make that position. It may take them three or four days to take it back to their group and mediate and all. But he says, I think they want the contract. So, but don't give it all in one time because they've still got to do their work. And they tell the people they got them extra money by doing such and follow me. I said, I'll follow you down the line. Within two weeks, I had one of the best contracts we had written down to the company. Wow. I can't even imagine, like, how difficult that would have been. It was difficult. It's all you yeah. got. Yeah. You, I mean, you got everything you got started straining. That's why yeah. I said, I, I couldn't lose. I couldn't go any other way. I was going downhill, you know. But I told me I got to protect myself. Yeah. I feel like maybe, I, like maybe, maybe I'm not strong enough to handle this union contract. Maybe, yeah. maybe they're going to bring two other outside people from another company to come in and handle it. But I, I just realized right now, I just realized that I've got to protect Dennis Sawyer. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that takes a lot of humility, but then I feel like in the end they respected that. Yeah, we had good relationships, I think. Yeah. yeah, and then you built that relationship with them. So from there, you were the vice president of the dog food mill, right, at Jim Dandy. Where did it take you? You finished law school, right? Finished my law school, and they give me a good raise, and I even hired one of my classmates to come in as my assistant at the company. Oh, that's cool. And I was vice president running the company, and the company was growing and doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there 15 years. Wow. And then my company was sold to another company in Savannah, Georgia. And they had a whole different about running the company and sending up people and doing them. And... I felt like I was just out of place and there's no way to go that way and in here. And sometime before a company in Chicago, through a fellow I knew, inquired about me coming up there and running their company. And I said, no, I was happy at the family was here and happy at the, where I was at. And I was at that time. But after the sale to the new people, all that changed. Mm-hmm. And I was driving home one night with my wife. And she says, you don't even like to go to work anymore. I said, it's no challenge to it. There's not, there's not, there's not the, 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 the relationship that I'm used to having in here and all. And uh, she, she said, well, you have been good for the family and done it. What is your decision? If it's my decision, I'm in a 3A league, and that's giving me in one more league, and that's an A team. And that'd be a profession like a ball player going from A to B to B. I'd like to get on the mound and pitch. And if they knock me out, I can handle it. But if I don't go and try, I don't know that I can handle that. Yeah. And she said, well, you've been good to the family. You decide what you want to do. I had accumulated 900 acres of cattle, 300 head of cattle out here. Mm-hmm. I had a company of cars furnished to me. I had, had everything I wanted, except I didn't have the challenge anymore. Wow. And those things were, were not yeah. suited. And so... From that conversation, the next day I got on a phone call, Ned Mudd, who had been owner prior to one of the owners that sold the company, and told him that if, if the company was still interested, available in Chicago, I'd be interested in interviewing. 
The next morning, he called me back and said, I've talked to him, Dennis, and I got an appointment with you, such and such a date, and plane tickets already made out. Go there. So I went from Birmingham to Chicago, and the company was in Monmouth, Illinois, and it was similar. We had two or three plants there and also out in other states. Big challenge. So I went in and interviewed with it, and they had three to four people from from their plant interviewing me. And they went over my history and said, you've done a job down there. And Ed Mudd said, you've done a good job and helped build that company and what have you. And all but says, how do you, how, how do you know you can handle this job up here? I said, I don't know I can. I'll do all I can do, and that's all I can do. If I fail, I fail. I'm willing to do it. I don't ask you for a contract. I don't ask you for no money. I ask you for the challenge. And why am I taking this job? It isn't just for the money. I'm 40 year old, and I'm fully loaded, and I think I'm good, and I've been successful. So I'd like to know how successful I am, and I'd like to take your company, and I'll leave them, and, y'all, and you don't have to do anything. Unbeknowing to me, one of the fellows left the room and the reference, I called them. I told them I did not want to come and know I was negotiating. They called a company in South Carolina, a company, and got a report. And after I accepted the job and come up here, the guy called me. He said, Dennis, you remember our interview in Chicago? I said, yeah. He said, you give me John White's name down in South Carolina. I said, he had a big bag company. Oh, he's furnished all our bags. And Yeah, I knew him well. well. He said, I called him while the negotiation was going on and says, you want his answer? I said, well, yeah, I might well have it. He said, I don't believe you got Dennis Sawyer up there going to leave uh, Birmingham and come up there to work company. He said, is that the same Dennis Sawyer I know? I said, yeah, that's the same thing as you, you know. He said, well, I ain't got but one thing to say. If you don't hire him and he's willing to come and you hire somebody else, give me a call because that fella beats him is good enough to, and, and well enough I would enjoy going up and talking to him and meet this other young man that you chose over dinner. Wow. Doesn't Here. get better than that for yeah. a reference. Uh, what year is it right now, Granddaddy? It's 1972. Uh, and you said you were 40 years old? Mm-hmm. Okay. 72, something like that, about 40. You load up the whole family from the farm in Birmingham, Alabama. How old was my dad and... Yeah, at the time. They were junior high school, junior about 12 and about 12 and 14. Okay, so you, you left the farm, but you kept the farm, mm-hmm. and then you moved up to Illinois. And how did that go? Well, started off real good, but okay. I went back to Jim Dandy, and they didn't have a replacement, so I told them I would stay there two months till they could find somebody and get, I could help them in there. That I owed them that much, and I stayed there the extra two months. And Birmingham. Do, and Birmingham. Okay. To, Till they brought a man, another man in from Savannah, Georgia. To get them settled. And so here we go now to move from the farm, leave the farm, get it under control, and go up there. So my first thing when I get up there, and I hadn't even been to Monmouth, Illinois, a little town, just wow. two thousand people, you know, close to the river over there in the western part. So I had to go around hunt. So I hunt, found three houses. I went to that we were gonna buy, and I went to one house, and I, I told I told them I said I'm gonna make you this offer for this house. And it will start at 8 o'clock in the morning. It will run to 10. I've got a second house. I'm going to make them off, and it will run from 10 to 12. And i got another offer. It will be right there. And one of these three houses we will have, because my wife ain't got time to look at the house and all. So I proved these houses and went back. So the one I gave, number one, I was at Mellon's Motel in Mountains, 6 o'clock in the morning the next morning. And the fellow that I had talked to with his wife about the house called me and said, will you have breakfast with me? I said, yes. 
he said, your wife told me you just said you was going to throw her out of her house, and she couldn't say nothing about it, and she is mad about it, and I want to sell it, and you want it, and says, can't some way we get together? I said, well, I didn't mean to be rude and what have you, but I'm under a pressure time. I got so much time, and my time is so valuable. I ain't got time to go through the other. My offer stands good. He said, well, let me just ask you one thing. He said, you're down in the basement. We've got a big TV with a con- didn't have a remote control, had a big table, well, cable where he could control it on and off at, at his desk and a most beautiful pool table that had come out of a pool, ta- pool table professional. And he said, downstairs the kids can come and play in that. And he said, I know bowls are worth more than $2,000, but I don't want to move them. It's going to cost me to it. But said, you don't let my wife know that this is the case and you let her go ahead and up at $2,000 and you accept it and then I'll throw these things in later. I said, agreed. So you got, so you got that first house. Was Grandma excited to go to Illinois? Nope. <laughs> no. She said she would go. To support, to support you. Yeah. And it was very hard on her. Very difficult. Very, very difficult. The kids loved it. Kids did good. The kids loved it. How did it go running that company? Oh, right. company I, I, I made them enough money in two years they paid for the company they just bought from someplace else. Wow. And I, I went in and I, I worked my tail off for it, getting it because I wanted the record. I wanted to get them out of here and just get it. And the kids joined things and loved it and got into different experiences. Mm-hmm. But Nina was 20 degrees below zero. And to show you an example, Michael wanted to get his driver's license. And the day that he got 16, it was a big snowstorm in Monmouth. And he worried her best to get to go down there. He called down there and said, well, they're not even open. They called down there and said, yeah, we're still open over here if anybody couldn't get here. And says, he, I got up and took that boy and we went down to the to, to the thing and took it in here and got a card left for me and I've still got the little card or piece of paper gone to get the damn driver's license <laughs> that's how he got his driver's license and, and uh then her daddy died and they had to come back down there to him to him his mother's by herself mm-hmm. so everything was very straining on him I know. Mm-hmm. so to continue that it was two years I was there doing the job and doing it in here and running it and had a, and had a good record and good record with how did you company. flip the company so quickly I, put, I produced more feed and raised the price and I still was competitive to the people that I've come with so they hadn't done managed it they hadn't checked out how much private variable was and mm-hmm. they'd done no management structure at all they just just yeah. let it run over same name year in day in out and I put yeah. in and I brought it up to date and put it in here in the companies and, and, and put some more new machinery in. So it was like a big yeah. challenge. So you were there. Well, I made it two ways. I got I uh-huh. increased the money, and it was a tight market then when cheap dog food was good, and I was in a, I was in a, a, a good market. Mm-hmm. So you were only there for two years? Two years. Then what happened? Well, I had, I sold, I, I made dog food, and I made ingredients. You have to, you have to take starch and expand it for the dog to eat stomach. Dog got about the same color stomach as a person. So we had customers that were buying these ingredients and mixing them into dog food, maybe with some meat meal and other items, soybean, other, making your own dog food and just buying this one in because they couldn't give them raw grain. So we had a cooker and it did it and made called kibbles and also flakes and flake machine. And Bill Wren in, in North Carolina had a mill and he was one of the customers. Mm-hmm. And... We went, I went down there with a the salesman sometime, just visiting, checking my key customers. Met him and his wife and went to a ball game, Alabama ball game or something with him. So anyhow, I had no idea about it, 
So it wasn't too many months after that till he called me and offered for me to come down there and run the company, his company. And I had, I knew, I knew we couldn't stay in the Monmouth that twenty gold zero and be happy. And the fact I was making money in the job now wasn't material to me anymore. I done proved myself to do to do the test, mm -hmm. so I didn't have. I had to now take care of Nina. Yeah. I went and talked with him and down there and, and, and told him the situation it, it was in. But I said, I'm going to do one thing, and next time I'm going to own part of the company. I will buy part of the company. Wow. I'll run 40%, you'll have 60%, I'll run it and have it, and I'll give you the money we make, and you'll see that we make we make the money in playing. And I was in Alabama, and I mother said, said, some man from, I don't want to talk to you from uh, from, Virginia, from North Carolina. He said, but Dennis, this is Bill. I said, well, how are you doing? He said, well, I just got to talking to you, and said, I thought we about to read a letter, and you got that letter from you, and how you lined it up, and said, I think we ought to get together. And what do you think? I said, well, I'll send it to you. We talk back. When I get back up there, I'll make an appointment and come down there and we'll talk. So when I got down back back from visiting there, I went down to Bill, and he'd already got a visit to Russia somewhere and needed me up there right away. And I told him I would not leave the company empired for living. So anyhow, we met. He had a penthouse in South Carolina with his lawyer, and we met down there the next day, and he, he said, well, we want to buy a new plant, not this old plant, and what have you. So I told him, I said, well, look, you're asking me to fly the plane, and I'm on the half of it. The new plant's going to be a failure, and y'all not going to be in it. I'm going to be in it, and I'll be dead. So I'm not going to talk about a new plant. I'm going to talk about taking this other one and bringing it up to date and standard and adding to it and keeping what I got and owning 40% of it and that here. So that's my terms and condition of it. If, if it's not that terms and condition, we got nothing to do. And Bill said, well, sleep over at night, Dennis, and see what you think. I didn't sleep all night long. I got up the next morning and gave him the same speech. <laughs> and Bill said, well, Ray, Ray, the lawyer said, well, I don't think you got a choice, Bill. He said, well, that's what you see and that's what you think about. That's the way you're going to see it. You're going to call the rules. said, that's why you're down here. I said, good. We shook hands, went back, and I owned half, I owned half of the company and, and, and Nina. And we moved to Solar City, and that's 74, two years exactly, the, the time okay. we left there. Then we went down there in July, and here, and she was a very happy woman, and a happy one, and it turned out to be a very good and very prosperous farm until the t 10 years, we run it 10 years, the old mill just kind of run its course, and, 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 and the market changed on me and everything else, and that time we, we, when we was in depression in the late said people were going buying cheap stuff keep here and and so without a name dog food i could sell now by price when before they just they want to make names because they make more money but now they were trying to have good deals for customers because times were hard so i capitalized on that and put in new expanders and added to it and made our dog food go so for 10 years i had a real snowball but it's like everything else when i got to 10 10 year old and this, this type of recession keeps stuff over. People got back up over here, and I was called from Rich Food, which is Rich, Virginia. I sell in them a truckload of dog food, champ dog food a week. Mm -hmm. Biggest seller in Richmond. Uh, and all of a sudden, the broker told me I was kicked out. So I went and flew up there and talked to the young man who was a buyer and asked him, well, what did we do wrong? We, we, we got to market. He said, Dennis, you're running your company, and I'm running my company. And says, it's been a good deal. But says, you sound so cheap, we can't make any money on it. He says, you're selling by price. He said, I'd sell a package of Urena for $5 and something. 
I sell a bag of yours for two ninety five. I've got to sell two bags of yours to make the same amount of money I have theirs, and I got to handle it and move it and do it all for that way, so I can lower my cost. So I'm more interested in selling a high priced dog food than you're interested in selling a low priced dog food. And says in here, and says besides that we've got a brand name coming in, and I'm gonna put the brand name in between Champ and ours and make money there. And if I put that band in and leave you in, my my my, my mm. fail. But if I move you out. But mine and I'm the cheapest priced also, so I will benefit. So on the way back from Richmond, I realized now that the 10 years I had and the situation was up, now what do I do? And realized that that was a time I was out. And the old mills were old, too. They're wearing out and what mm -hmm. have you, and you know, old mills. So that was in my 10 then to close up. And yeah, so I told Bill Wren, and he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to stay in. And uh, he bought my 40% out, which is fair with dealing. And I told him I'd help him any way I could, but it lasted about two years, and uh, the market went down on him, and the old mills grew up, and he got he got his money out somehow. But the people that bought it didn't know what they were doing, and they went bankrupt in less than a year. So me exiting the company was the proper thing for me to do because I'd had two my gold, I had the money, we had the money, house paid for, and 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 the farm in Alabama and what have you. How did you know it was the right time to like? Exit. It's just, it's just, it's just a feel you come over. You got, yeah. you, you, you can add up all this direction. It'd be like a hundred roads. You look a hundred roads. You don't want this one. You don't, you don't, you don't do that. But there's one over here. You ain't nobody. I'll take that one. Less travel. Yeah. <laughs> you just exited the company, and then what did you decide? I spent two years doing this, and I went to China. Spent three weeks in China over on a reciprocal truck thing between the managers here and there, learned it to China. And I traveled to uh, South Africa and did all this traveling, got back in, in two years. And then I taught, uh, taught school to community college, some classes in, in that when I was going on. But all the time I was looking for some other opportunities or something to to get a hold of and do. 87, I brought uh, Robert White out of the hardware store. And, and I went in the hardware store business, and, and one guy said, well, after I'd been there for about six months a year, one guy said to Dennis, said, I, he, said he said he didn't know a thing about, about the hardware store before he bought it. And the ex-owner said, hell, he still don't know it. <laughs> I said, well, it's making a little bit of money, ain't he? Yeah. <laughs> what made you want to buy the hardware store? Because I had something to do. I wasn't happy. At two two years, I wasn't happy in those two years. Yeah, you had a yeah. I was you going. I was. I was yeah. going. I was going to teaching school at the community college at night. I was going to doing this over here, over here, and the thing. Mm -hmm. I went to China. I went to South Africa. Well, what more could I do? You know, yeah. I went on back where I wanted. I wanted real estate, and at that time, I decided I wanted real estate. Just bought, Just bought the hardware store. You're 57 years old. 1987. I just felt that it, 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 I'm still. I just felt like I wasn't ready to to hang up and and do things and mm -hmm. just just from just from my own own satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So we I lined up with the, from eight from Solid City Hardware to join Ace Hardware Ace Hardware Company and bigger, but so much could be done with a hardware store because of just just limitations that you have by physical thing. So I needed something else. So I said, well, why not marry something different than what you've got and see how they can complement each other? So then I went into the real estate business. And I started buying up 
property and town houses and whatever come along and bought him up in here. So for 10 years, I spent my time here. It got to be bigger and bigger, but now I was the one man, one man show. Mm -hmm. I, I owned the company, I had it. I was on 100% of the company. I didn't have to, no shareholders to worry about. So might've made me a little lazy in doing it, but I got up there and doing it and then got here. Kind of you, so you did, you kind of have ended your journey, right, with you're still the owner of Ace Hardware Store, you're still doing real estate and owning rentals and, you know, different types of commercial real estate and things like that and renting it. So through this extensive, incredible journey, you know, of a variety of people that have had influence on you or have kind of um, mentored you, what do you think the best advice that you were given from somebody on how to be a great leader was? Enjoy what you're doing. Second thing is, let the facts dictate. Don't try to run against the facts. You will fail. And did one person, like, give you that, or did you kind of learn that on your own? That's a good question, and I've asked it several times up and down, and to this day I can't tell you I'm just that way. You know, maybe God knows whatever. And what, you, and what do you think it takes to be a great leader? He has got to make the people he is managing want him to be their manager. He cannot go in and take over and be it just because he's appointed or an officer or what. He can get 50% of his authority from the giver. He's got to earn the other 50% from the people he's supervising. And then he can go. He can't go without both of them. How do you get that from somebody? One thing, you've got to be fair to them. Mm -hmm. You've got to be honest for, honest with them. You've got to respect them and treat them as one of I think that came from my mother. Yeah. Doing what doing, she do things like that with the people. Always want to be around Mays and May. Well, we've got to see what May's doing. May is becoming, they want anything, they go to her, she can solve it, etc. And I think I kind of grew up with that type of, feeling absolutely closing what piece of advice would you have for me or anybody that's listening to aspire to grow and, as a leader and enjoy what you're doing no matter what get the good out of it. there's always some good and bad and apples and what have you some people want to peel on the old stuff the bad stuff whatever peel on the good stuff and taste it and go with it and earn it and make it and then the next thing i would say it is is you contribute back to whatever environment and whatever thing as much as you can to make it better so that you get satisfaction, but you're who you're working for, what they get some satisfaction and respect. Well, Granddaddy, I appreciate this time more than you'll ever know, and I love you so much. This is our time with Dennis Sawyer. We are going to end here. Thank you.